0: We're not in Matthew this morning. I told the Sunday school we're going to be, we're swapping Matthew and Judges. So we're going to be in Judges this morning. We normally do Judges on uh, Sunday nights. but just feel like we should, seem like the Lord was leading me to do that. So I feel like if the Lord's leading me, I should probably pay attention. So Judges in chapter 7. This is uh, towards the end. We're not to the end of the life of Gideon, but we're, we're... We'll be wrapping it up here in the next Sunday or two. So, Judges in chapter seven, <clears throat> and have this is right after. Okay, we've got the Lord has separated out the whole bunch of people showed up about around 35,000 people. The Lord weeded out it was just down to three hundred and Gideon, and uh, many of those three, many of those others are either returned to base camp, some of them may have returned home. Uh, my own belief is that they, they basically stayed in camp while the others made their way for the first attack. Uh, just because That's just my own opinion, but uh, for those of you who are even interested. So Judges chapter 7, and go to verse 23. <clears throat> Judges chapter 7 and verse 23. So the 300 have done their bit. They've got to watch God do an amazing thing. The Midianites and the Amalekites are killing each other like crazy. Okay? <clears throat> uh, that's, that's verse 22. 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord sent every man's sword against his fellow. Okay? And they start running in the dark. Verse 23. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers... Throughout all Mount Ephraim. Okay, so to put this in perspective, all right, you gotta get your map. So here's the map. You all see it? Okay, so you got Sea of Galilee, you got the Jordan River, you got the Dead Sea, Mediterranean's over here. So here's Israel. This is all happening up on the north side, just south and west of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, all these tribes that are mentioned are all up around this area. Ephraim is down here. Okay, so when all these Amalekites and the Midianites, they all start running, they start running south to the fords of Bethabara, or Beth, however you want to hear it, which is just north of the Dead Sea. So he, when they attack, they start running. Well, now Gideon sees an advantage, let's bring in the Ephraimites, because they're heading right next to their property. So he sends down into the Ephraimites and says, Hey, can you all go hit the fords? Because, man, that's where they're going to be crossing, and you guys can do some good cleanup." So they're, they're chasing them south, so the Ephraimites are right here. They come across, That's, so you get the picture. All the fighting's been up north, now it's down here. Everybody kind of got the general picture? Okay. If you don't, just trust me. The Ephraimites were nowhere near the first fight. They are right on top of this fight, okay? And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters unto Beth Barah, and Jordan, that's where a big ford was where they could cross the river. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeeb they slew at the winepress of Zeeb. Kind of interesting that they. Where do we, where do we first discover Gideon? At the winepress. He's. He's trying to hide, and here's what is now the princes of the enemy is what is he's trying to hide. And uh, basically what they're saying is they rename both of these places and say, this is where the princes of the Midianites were slain. <laughs> so when it says the rock Oreb and the winepress of Zeeb, they're saying they named those places, this is where they died. Zeeb died here, Oreb died here, anyways. Uh, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. Verse chapter 8, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. Those are both very strong words. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. and what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he said that. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And uh, we'll be preaching on that here before too long, faint yet pursuing. Great message there, and it's just been in one of the national GIBF meetings, used this as a as their theme, faint yet pursuing. But so Gideon's dealing with the men of Ephraim. Okay? Uh, Ephraim got all fired up, offended, because they had a judge that showed up and started freeing Israel. Serious? Like really? Uh, anyways. So we're gonna look at this fickle or faithful? Fickle or faithful. Father, Lord, we ask that you would, Lord, help us this morning as we look at this interaction. That you'd help us to be ready and aware, and Lord, uh, not, I'm not ashamed to look at either side of this and make some serious applications to ourselves if need be. And we'll thank you for it. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's Gideon. He's got he's got this nice sized army, you know, thirty five thousand which God said, that's too much, and we're not going to go back and re-preach that. And it's for good reason. Uh, It was too much because God would not have got the glory, even though God is one who would have provided the victory. So he pared it down to 300 so that when they got to seeing what God was doing, then they were getting in on what God was doing, not doing their own work and hoping that you know just God was playing along. So, So they get this great victory. They get to watch God do some amazing stuff. And so now, I mean, they're on a route. I mean, they have totally... Um, God has totally destroyed this army. They're running, they're running through the dark, running into each other, killing each other, thinking it's the enemy. And Gideon's like, dude, this is great timing. Let's get everybody and just chase them down. I mean, they're just running now, so now we just, we'll just keep killing them as long as we can until, until this whole matter's done. This will be, they won't ever come back. So he calls out, and I do believe, I believe many of these people weren't that, many of these soldiers weren't that far away. If you'll notice, they're from the same, same areas, same towns, but even if it did, Somehow they all showed up, they chased them, they chased them through the night. Somehow the battle ends up heading down towards this place where they can cross the Jordan. And Gideon, like a good, I mean, there's some good wisdom here, some good battle strategy he's using. He sends, he sends messengers who can run fast, because a whole army can't move as fast as just a couple of messengers. The whole army takes time to move. And he sends a couple of messengers down to Ephraim saying, hey, we, we're doing a great thing up here, we're tearing it up. Now, I want you to remember this now all these other tribes that are involved are all along the border of Ephraim. Okay? And if I remember right, there was a prophet that just came by just a little bit before through the whole nation of Israel and said, y'all have disobeyed and you've, you've, you've blown it and you, know, you should have listened and then walked out and then God shows Gideon. I mean, suddenly we've got this little pop-up of Gideon starting to... He, he knocks down the altar of Baal. I'm just telling you. That'd be like... I have to be careful here. <laughs> I'm not going to use that. <clears throat> Lord, would just change that, get my head away from that. So, that would be a major, major thing. I mean, that would be like the, the local capital, the local capital having, or, or let's say the local Mormon temple having the steeple knocked off. Okay, that would have made some news. Like damage, destruction, that would have made some news. I mean, this was a big deal, okay, it's not like Ephraim's haven't, Ephraimites have not heard the rumblings of this. And when all this battle stuff is going on, sh- certainly they, they heard about that there was an army being called. Okay? But anyways, uh, so Gideon sends down a couple messengers down into Ephraim, and they jump in. Ephraimites are good warriors, by the way. Uh, you, you read through. All, through. all through history, the Ephraimites have been very much involved in much battle. Now, there is one thing. If we were to go back and we could look in the book of Judges, and there's some in the early Judges, some back in the book of Joshua, and even earlier, that there's a little bit of tension between the Ephraimites and the Manassites. Now, if you can think about that, that goes all the way back to when they were kids. You remember who's, who's the oldest? Manasseh's the oldest, and Ephraim's the youngest, and when they brought him in, he, he, the, the blessing from Jacob upon Joseph's two sons was swapped. And the, the, the younger got the, got the blessing and the older did not. And maybe I've got those backwards. But there's been tribal tension between those two ever since. The one that's supposed to be the, the lower is the stronger, the better, the one that's more recognized. And there's literally been tribal tension ever since. Ephraim's like, we should have been called first. Hello? Hello? I mean, you, know, you guys left your A players on the bench, and you picked all these B players? Okay, so I'm, this is what, literally what's going on some here. So, and they, what's crazy is, when they go down, they get involved, and they do a great job. They, they tear it up. Now, let me ask you a question. What stopped Ephraim from starting this whole mess themselves? Why did they need a Gideon to ask them to be involved? What was the promise of God if they would go after their enemies? That God would be with them? So what stopped Ephraim from doing right this whole time? I mean, answer this. What stopped Ephraim from saying, this isn't right, God's on our side, let's go after this? Nothing. They could have done it. They could have stepped up and went off. But they don't do it. They could have done it anytime. time. They knew it was right. Okay? They were quite capable of doing the work, as is obvious in this battle time. I mean, they tore into them, and they just, they just didn't take out... You know, a couple of armies, they took out all the way to the prince, of the, the heads of these armies. I mean, they, they took out some pretty, pretty big people, and then they show up with the heads of these princes, they show up to Gideon, and instead of going, hey, thanks for calling us, look at what we got to do. They go up, hey! You hear that? Verse 1, chapter 8. Why hast thou served us us? What did you treat us this way for? You see this, us. Why hast thou served us this way, that thou call us us not? And it says, they did chide with him sharply. Those are both, again, very strong words. These are, they're, they're, they're literally angry, hot about it. Like, they're over there going, I mean, like, this is finger in the chest stuff. Hey, you, how come you didn't call us? This is not right. Let me, this is, they're, I mean, this is argumentative. They're just completely argumentative, completely selfish. There's no recognition that God has called another judge and that they got to be a part of God's work against the enemy in freeing the Israel. Not a one word. It was just, we should have been involved. How come you didn't send us an invitation earlier? You hear, you hear what I'm saying? They never need an invitation to do what God had already commanded. But they're saying they did. And apparently also they got this little tribal fiction, or tribal friction going on. You're using Manasseh, but you didn't call us. Okay, And they wanted recognition. I mean, essentially, that's it. Hey, hey, we got the heads. Look look what we did. How come you didn't call us earlier? Think of all that we could have done. I mean, they they had to have an invitation to get involved in doing what was right all along. They could have done it themselves. (coughs) They obviously had the wherewithal to do it. And they wanted (coughs) recognition for their contribution. That's what they want, the whole thing. Now, here's the killer. The timing on all this. So when they meet when they meet Gideon, they are crossing the Jordan. It says they bring the heads to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. So somewhere along the line, Gideon has already crossed. So the, the fighting was on the west side of Jordan. He has crossed to the east side of Jordan. Come down, and now the Ephraimites on this side they they come to the ford. They kill all those that are coming. Now they cross over Jordan. Okay, why are they crossing over Jordan? Because either Gideon is about to chase the other princes that are there that we're going to look at, or he has already chased them and come back. Okay? But we're not left with any other options. They, he either already has done this work, which I don't think so because of the way... The way <coughs> forgive me. The way he describes it, he doesn't mention his own killing of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the princes. He says, look at what you've done. And all he references of himself is this the work that they did with the 300 men okay so Gideon only references that initial battle of the 300 where they basically you know smashed the pitchers showed the light and shouted out the sword of the lord and of Gideon and he says look what you guys have done so it seems to me that they catch up with Gideon as Gideon is about to go after the rest of the army and tear him up and ephraim doesn't follow they don't go with him <laughs> I, no. How come you didn't invite us? We could have been part of this. We wanted to be a part of this. Still, battle to be won. Okay, see you. This was fickle. Completely focused on themselves, they had to be invited by someone, someone important, Gideon, the judge of the Lord. They couldn't just go out and do what They were supposed to do what they knew to do themselves, and then they stopped fighting when there's still fight to be done. And they're still capable of doing it. These are not incapable people. Okay, the Ephraimites, they're quite capable of continuing the battle. But they don't. It's all about how it makes them look. (coughs) Fickle. Fickle means changing, which is obvious here. Yay, let's go fight him. How come he didn't call us? We're not going to go with you. (coughs) Changing, volatile, hot-blooded. Does that sound like the Ephraimites? Yeah, no, it's fickle. Gideon, a great response. Good wisdom in his response. <coughs> How in the world is Gideon going to have any idea that the Ephraimites are going to be offended at all this? He saying, hey, you know what? We need some extra help. Can you guys come and help? That sounds like a fairly logical response. Doesn't it? sound like to you? You know what? They're near you guys. Could you come and help? We could use some help. Things are going on. Looks like you know the Lord's going to let the whole. He has no way of knowing that they're just going to be all fired up, offended. <coughs> he called them when he needed them, and they go hey, red, 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 red. blustery and all that. What does he do? He takes the high road <coughs> by taking the low road. <coughs> Humility. Proverbs 51 is a good application here. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. I mean, he could have said, "Where were you when we needed you beforehand?" you know? I mean, we sure could have used you back when I called all these people up to start the fight to begin with. <clears throat> he doesn't do any of that. And I love he even uses like word these word pictures to help them see. And look at what he says, verse 2, eight, chapter 8 verse 2. What have I done now? In comparison of you. So let's just compare. He looks at them and says, you know, let's just compare what's been done here. And he says, "Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim. So you understand, the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim is, that's the leftovers. Okay, that, that's not, when he's talking about, you know, uh, reaping from the garden, he's, he's not talking about that first big harvest where all it's fresh. He says, he says, no, just what you guys have done, just the leftovers of what you guys have done is what? is better than the vintage of Abba Ezer. He's referencing himself. He says, the best I've done doesn't even match up to just the leftovers that you guys have taken care of. Look, you guys have two princes' heads there. He says, the very best thing I've done, you guys far exceeded. He says, just the, you know, your little cleanup was far better than all that we did. And truthfully, there's some truth to that. What it, how much swinging of the sword did Gideon do at that first battle? Zero. He didn't kill anybody. God did. <laughs> Ephraimites came in, and they, they tore the place to shreds. I mean, is pretty good. I like This is great stuff. <laughs> and God sends them all. They're killing all each other. So Gideon, at this point, hasn't really done much for fighting, maybe a little bit. So he, he uses these beautiful word pictures that would be, I wish you, wish you could understand it, and like we would maybe use a sports picture. But for them, he's like, man, you know, <clears throat> you're... Your second string, your third string is better than my starting players. That's essentially what he's saying. You guys, you guys did a great job. And, and he takes no credit for himself. You think about that. He doesn't once say, well, God called me, or I had the blessing of God. He doesn't do any of that. And he could have. Think about all that he could have said, but he did not. He chose to instead basically try to ap- appease their anger. Why? Because they're Brothers, why send out the Midianites and start a civil war? Everybody hearing? We don't need a civil war. This is not the time for a civil war. So he uses just some great wisdom. He does these beautiful word pictures to make sure, listen, the relationship here is okay. You guys have done an amazing work. And then what does Gideon do after that? Well, the Ephraimites apparently go home. But the work ain't done. The whole rest of the chapter, of, chapter 8 is Gideon with more work to do, more battle to fight. He appeases them, watches them turn around and walk away, and keeps going on to fight. Huh. Fickle. Took no credit for himself, appeased the anger, addressed it in humility, and continued the fight without the help he really could have used. Why? Well, there's work to be done. And that's what God said to do. Fickle. Fickle versus faithful. <clears throat> I wonder how many people in the pews already know what's right to do. They already know what's right to do. They already know what they should be doing <clears throat> and they you all can start doing it anytime. But you're waiting to be asked, to be recognized, need to be congratulated. And then when you do help, it's just complain the whole time you do help. Well, how come this? How come that? We should have got done for this, man. And then won't help beyond anything they've been asked to do. Well, we still got a little bit of cleanup. Oh, no, I've done my part. Got to go home now. See you. Have fun. Is everybody here? Fickle. Well, nobody's ever asked me to help. Did you see that there was a need for help? Hello? Or walk in the back door... Can't believe it. People say they clean every Friday, and I see a piece of trash. Um, what do you do with a piece of trash that's on the floor? You pick it up. Well, I, I know I know somebody that really needs really needs <coughs> to hear the gospel, and the preacher says he knocks on all the doors. I am sure he hasn't knocked on that door. I mean, a preacher, he just needs to go and knock on that door, or somebody maybe Chester. I should tell Chester. <coughs> Uh, you don't have a Bible? You don't have a testimony? You don't have feet that can walk across the street and knock on a door? Hello? <clears throat> I wonder how many people there will be in heaven. It'll be like, God will be lifting them up. In our eyes, in, in our minds, if I could picture this and I, I'm, I'm probably stepping out of the bounds of what's real here, but I wonder how many people that God will look at, and I mean, their arm will go around them, and they'll be just a, <clears throat> a warm greeting, and we're going to look at that person and say, "I think I remember them." Who is that? Oh, just some person that was just faithful in the background, never quit, always did what they did, never got recognized. Never got congratulated. They just did what they were supposed to do because they knew what God's word said to do and they just kept doing it. And we've never heard their name. Or don't remember it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Fickle. Fickle. <clears throat> well, I just believe it's right. that It's my time as a man. I've been around here long enough. I should be recognized as a trustee or a deacon. You should be. man, I, I have served here so long, you, th- you think at some point somebody around here would recognize how much that I have invested here. Can't believe there ain't nobody else out here shoveling the driveway. Where's all the other people on shoveling the driveway? I'm the only one out here shoveling the driveway. or we could be like Gideon faithful why did Gideon do what he was doing because God had promised and he believed God's word and God's word believe it or not was really nothing new than what God had already said why was Gideon doing what he was doing because that's what God said Duh. <clears throat> just can't believe why are you doing this preacher why are we doing that preacher well that's what God says well there's better programs there might be but that's what God says <laughs> just believe God's word they work because God is already doing a great work and they just want to be a part Realize that God's the one who started winning that battle for Gideon. Do you know that God is, he wants to and is doing a great work in Jerome and in the world? And you can be a part. Or not. When you watch someone bow their head and ask the Lord into their heart or have them come back later and look at you with just beaming, changed features and saying, yeah, I became a believer because of that time you stopped by. That's a wonderful, precious thing. I watch God doing a work, and I just got to be a part of it. And they work when, even though no one else is going to help. It's funny, we worked with, I worked with a man by the name of Steve Lewis, very, very, very faithful, hard worker, A good testimony, I just, uh, one of those guys always behind the scenes, always doing what needed to be done. And sometimes after fellowships, no kidding, no kidding, after fellowships, we'd go over and say, okay, Brother Lewis, what do you want us to do for all these tables? And he'd say, I don't want you to do nothing. Just have them take care of their plates. I'll take care of everything tomorrow because they're just going to get in the way and I can do it all this week myself. Sometimes we listened to him, but sometimes we wouldn't. Why? Because he shouldn't have to bear all that himself. No. They they work despite no one else helping, or despite not the people I think should be helping, helping. That's always going to be. And, now think about this, Gideon turned away from the river of Jordan, watching the Ephraimites cross back over, knowing, I got a lot of work left to do. And not just a lot of work left to do, they're faint in doing it. You see what it says there in verse 4? Verse Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300. Not even the 35,000 from the original fight. No, no children of Manasseh, no children of Asher, no children of, of Ephraim. But there's still work to be done. And it says they were faint at the end. Faint, yet pursuing. There's still work to be done. God's still with us, and there's still work to be done. And these people are being fickle. I can't do anything about that. i still got to go to work. He could have stopped right there in the corner of Jordan and said, Lord, I'm done. You expect me to just keep doing all this with no help? Do you, do you hear me? Lord, you just expect me to, I mean, look what they did over there. Man, they could be a great help. You know, with this Zeba and Zalmuna and all the rest of the people we have to take after. Nope, he says, we got work to do. Guess we're going to go after it. I'm tired. I'm just going to have to keep going after it. Faint, yet pursuing. We'll look at that a little further. Faithful. Are you, let me ask you are you faithful or are you fickle? Turn over to the book of John, chapter 6. <coughs> <coughs> the book of John in chapter 6 there's a great transition in Jesus' ministry that happens here in John chapter 6 he has a huge amount of people following him right now Just many people that called themselves Jesus disciples, I mean just wherever he went there's this massive, massive entourage and I'm not talking about the disciples I'm talking about probably hundreds of people that are following him around (coughs) But he begins to teach some things in chapter 6 that seems a little harsh to them. He starts talking in verse 50, 52, 53, 54 about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. <coughs> and uh, they just don't understand it. They don't understand what he's talking about because they can't understand that Jesus has to die on the cross, he has to give of himself, himself to die. In a says in verse 59, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that, in other words, what if you see him leave? Not here to establish a kingdom. What if you see him leave? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. You should have been listening to my teaching. It's not my physical presence that you need. What you need is to hear my words and believe my words. Verse 64. (laughs) But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except that were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Does that sound fickle? But we're not left with that. We also find the faithful. Verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. That's like Gideon's 300. It's the ones he started with. (coughs) And he says unto them, Will ye also... Go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what the difference is between fickle and faithful? Fickle people always have to, they're always concerned about what men think. And faithful people, they can't imagine doing anything but just following God. Do you hear me? It doesn't matter what others are doing. <coughs> it doesn't matter what others aren't doing. It doesn't matter that they're tired. It doesn't matter that there's a lot of work left yet to do. It doesn't matter that nobody's patting them on the back. It doesn't matter that people are hollering at them for a good work that they've been trying to do. They just know that this is what God's word is. This is what God's work is. Where else are we going to go? And they just keep following. Are you fickle? Or are you faithful? Are you fickle? Or are you faithful? Father, (coughs)